Drinkwine.com. We hand deliver a world of wine. Discover the wine of your dreams. One quiz. Your journey to membership starts with a one-minute quiz. Five questions. Do you like mushrooms? We're dying to know. Four bottles. We'll tailor four delicious wines to your taste preferences each month. Five million reviews and counting. Rate your wine monthly so we call perfect your palate. So we can perfect your palate. Wink shares. Drink it. Love it. Own it. Meet the crowd pleasers. 2018 Chop Shop Cabernet Sauvignon. 2018 Outer Sounds Sauvignon Blanc. 2017 Folly of the Best Pinot, Pin, Pinot Noir. Handled with care. We take a modern approach to a timeless craft. We use minimal intervention, winemaking methods, and sustainable farming techniques to create amazing wines for our community while also preserving this incredible planet we call home. When you start with great raw material, you have to do a lot less work with the wine. And in, and in order to have a great raw material, you have to leave the vineyard better than you found it. Ryan Zodovich, Director of Wine Making. We heard it through the grapevine. The best wine club overall, fantastic wine selection, reasonable prices, and fast delivery. Business Insider. Wink is the best decision I ever made. The international wines are my favorite. The whole process takes about 10 minutes, and then magically a shipment of wine is on the way. BuzzFeed. Get more out of your glass. Feed your perfect bottle. Rate your wine so we can perfect your palate. If you don't like a bottle, contact us and we'll replace it with one that you do. Wine your way. We offer flexible membership so you can choose your own bottles, red, white, rosé. The choice is yours. No strings attached. We understand if you need a break. Skip a month or cancel any time. No questions asked. Here is the shooting of Trayvon Martin, Part 2. On March 16th, Serena told the Orlando Sentinel that his investigation had turned up no reliable evidence cast that cast doubt on Zimmerman's account that he had acted in self-defense. The best evidence we have is the testament of George Zimmerman, and he says the decedent was the primary aggressor in the whole event. Everything I have is adding up to what he says. FDLE and FBI investigations. On March 20th, 2012, State Attorney Warm State Attorney Norm Wolfinger announced that a Seminole County grand jury would be convened on April 10th to investigate the death of Martin. However, after State Attorney Angela Corey was assigned to the case by Florida Governor Rick Scott on March 22nd, she decided that her office would decide whether to press charges. She commented, I always lean towards moving forward without needing the grand jury in a case like this. I foresee us being able to make a decision and move it on our own. And move on and move on it on our own. Governor Scott asked the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, FDLE, to investigate the shooting, and Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi confirmed that the FDLE was involved and stated that no stone will be left unturned in this investigation. On March 20, 2012, the Justice Department announced that it was opening an investigation into the incident. The FBI opened a parallel investigation to whether Martin's civil rights were violated, interviewed witnesses, and looked into Zimmerman's background. On July 12, 2012, reports of some of the reports Reports of some of the more than 30 interviews conducted by the FBI released by Special Prosecutor Angela Corey to Zimmerman's attorney, who released them to the public. Release reports do not draw any conclusion. The DOG 
in the DOG investigation. The Sanford Police Department's lead investigator, Chris Serena, told the FBI agents that, we, that he believed Zimmerman's actions were not based on Martin's race, but instead on Martin's attire, the circumstances of the encounter, and previous burglaries in the neighborhood. Zimmerman's neighbor, neighbors and co-workers were interviewed as well, and neighbors who knew Zimmerman had no, nothing derogatory to say about him. His co-workers were complimentary of him. Serena also, told, Serena also told FBI that he had felt pressure from three officers within the department to charge Zimmerman, although he did not believe he had enough evidence at the time to file charges. The accused one of these officers of being friendly, and accused one of these officers of being friendly with Martin's father. He also expressed concern to the FBI about possible leaks of evidence to the media from within the department. On July 13, 2013, no, shortly after the, after the trial verdict, the U.S. Justice Department issued a statement saying its investigation into the civil rights aspects of the case was continuing on February 24, 2015, 35 months after it began. The civil rights investigation of the Justice Department was terminated for lack of evidence. The FBI investigation was concurrently terminated for the same reason. County Medical Examiner's Autopsy Report the Volusia County Medical Examiner found that Martin was killed by an injury resulting from a single gunshot to the chest, fired at intermediate range between 1 and 18 inches, 3 to 46 centimeters according to a forensic expert. An FDLE analysis of Martin's body and clothes described the distance as a contact shot. The autopsy also found that Martin had one small abrasion on his left ring finger below the knuckle. No other injuries found on Martin's body at the time of his death. Physicians? who reviewed the official autopsy report for the Orlando Central stated in their opinion that Martin lived for 20 seconds to several minutes after he was shot and that Martin likely remained conscious for a, a little time anyway. The autopsy report stated that Martin had trace levels of THC, the active ingredient of marijuana in his blood and urine. The toxicology report found the levels to be 1.5 nanograms per milliliter of THC and 7.3 nanograms per milliliter of THC COOH, the main secondary metal bolide of THC, which stays in the system for weeks after cannabis has been smoked. Larry Kobelinski, a professor of forensic science, stated that the THC amount was so low that it may have been adjusted days early and played no role in Martin's behavior. While under oath, the medical examiner who performed the autopsy testified that marijuana could have no effect or some effect or some effect on Martin's behavior. Witness accounts. Recordings of eight calls to the police on the night of, sh of the shooting were released by the Sanford police on March 17, 2012. The only eyewitness to the end of the competition is that Martin was on top of Zimmerman and punching him while Zimmerman was yelling for help. This witness, who identified himself as John, stated that the guy in the bottom who had a red sweater on, was yelling to me, help, help, and I told him to stop and I was calling 911. He went on to say that when he got upstairs and looked down, the guy was on top of beating up the other guy, was the one laying in the grass, and I believe he was dead at that point. A 13-year-old boy walking saw a man on the ground shortly before the shooting, identified him as wearing a red, as wearing red. His mother later disputed the judgment and claiming, claimed that the police pressured him in choosing the color that the man was wearing, and that her son could not see any details in the dark. She also stated that the police waited five days before requesting to even question her son and said that the lead homicide investigator told her that he did not believe the shooting was self-defense. Mary Kutcher and her roommate Selma Moore Lamilla appeared on a 
AC360 and Kucha stated that she believes that there was no punching, no hitting going on the time, no wrestling just prior to the shooting, but admitted that she neither saw the shooting nor the preceding altercation. Kucha and her roommate heard the pair in their backyard and a very young voice whining with no sounds of a fight. They heard a gunshot and the crying stopped immediately and they saw Zimmerman on his trailing Martin on the ground. Mary Kutcher phoned police at the field of shooting and said the black man was standing over another man, although Trayvon Martin was already dead. According to the Orlando Sentinel article, police spokesman Sergeant Dave Morgenstern on March 15th issued a statement disputing Kutcher's version of events, calling her statements to WFTV inconsistent with her sworn testimony to police. However, Kutcher and her maintained that their account of the incident to the police did not agree with Simmons and they demanded the police issue a retraction. On March 29, 2012, when I was referred to as a male saw, said that the man that he saw two men on the ground scuffing, scuffling, then heard the shooting and saw Zimmerman walk away with no blood on him. The witness later appeared at on AC360 referred to as a female giving more details on her account. She pointed on that she heard an argument between a younger and an older voice during the time she had, that she witnessed the incident and the scuffling happened on the grass. She said that the large man who walked away after the gunshot was on top and that it was too dark to see blood on his face. A witness who arrived shortly after the shooting revealed photos that he took the he took that night that showed blood trickling down the back of Zimmerman's head from two cuts. It also shows a possible contusion forming on the crown of his head. In, re- in revealing the photo to ABC News in mid-April, he noted that he had heard but had not seen the scuffle, had been the first to arrive, and that he had been the first to talk to Zimmerman after the shooting. One eyewitness statement given the night of the shooting describes a black male wearing a dark colored hoodie on top of a white or Hispanic male who was yelling for help. The witness said that the black male was throwing punches MMA mixed martial arts style. After hearing a pop, he saw the black male laid out on the grass. Then, when the witness was subsequently interviewed weeks later by a different agency, the witness said he thought that the black male was either punching or pinning the lighter skin. Male underneath him, he was no longer certain who was calling for help. Having not seen the males in the dark, he was still certain that the black male had been on top of the lighter skinned male. On March 20, 2012, Martin family attorney Benjamin Crump revealed that the Martin had been on the phone with a friend moments before he was shot. This friend later identified Zimmerman as the aggressor in the deadly confrontation at Zimmerman's trial. This friend testified that she did not know whether Zimmerman or Martin started the fight. During the NABC News exclusive report, Crump allowed portions of his recorded interview with Martin's friend to be aired. She said that Martin told her that a man was watching him from his vehicle while talking on the phone before the man started following Martin. And Martin told his friend at one point that he had lost the man, but the man suddenly appeared again. The friend of Richard, known only as Witness 8, now known as Rachel Gentile, Gentile said that she told Martin's friend to the townhouse where he was staying with his father and his father's fiance. She then heard Martin say, What are you following me for? The following followed by the, a man's voice responding, What are you doing around here? She testified that w- she then heard what sounded like Martin's phone earpiece dropping into wet grass, and she heard the sound of Martin's voice saying, Get off, get off. The phone then went dead. She said, I was trying to say, Trayvon, Trayvon, what's going on? Jean Tell testified, I started hearing a little of Trayvon saying, Get off, get off, when the phone went silent. She immediately attempted to call him back, but was unable to reach him. Crump stated that he returned the information over to the Justice Department because the family does not trust the Sanford Police Department to have anything to do with the investigation. 
Martin's friend was subsequently interviewed by state prosecutors on April 2, 2012. During her interview with the prosecutor, Martin's friend recounted her last phone call with Martin and added that Martin had described the man as crazy and creepy, watching him from a vehicle while the man was talking on the phone. She also testified that Martin referred to Zimmerman as a creepy-ass cracker and, and nigga during their telephone conversation on March 6, 2013. The prosecutor admitted that she had lied under oath when she falsely testified that she had been in the hospital on the day of Martin's funeral. She later admitted being embarrassed about lying and that she felt guilty on Martin's death and not doing more to help. Crump had refused to disclose the identity of witness, stating that she was only 16, a minor at the time of the shooting, and that's the media to respect her privacy. It was subsequently revealed that she was actually 18 at the time when she said she was on the phone with Martin. According to the defense, her actual age had been edited out previously released. Disclosure Crump had denied any intention of giving any misleading statements about her age. Witness 8 was subsequently identified as Richard Jean Tail, a friend with whom Martin had attended elementary school and high school. George Zimmer's account of events. On the advice of his legal counsel, Zimmer did not speak to the media after the shooting. These statements he gave to police officials were publicly released on June 21, 2012, when Zimmerman's attorney, Mark O'Meara, published his written and recorded statements on Zimmerman's legal defense website. Prior to the release of the statements, the only publicly available information about Zimmerman's version of the end that came from interviews with some of his family members and friends and from leaks to the news of media by sources inside the investigation and his recorded phone call to 911. <coughs> Zimmer maintained his public silence until he was interviewed by Sean Hannity of Fox News on July 18, 2012, according to early news reports on the incident on the night of the shooting and afterwards Zimmer described in detail for investigators what took place. Zimmerman said he was driving to the grocery store when he spotted Trayvon Martin walking through the neighborhood. Zimmerman's father said that while his son was not on duty that night as a neighborhood watch captain, there had been many break-ins, and he thought it was suspicious that someone he did not recognize was walking behind the town homes instead of on the street or the sidewalk. Zimmerman therefore called the non-emergency police line to report Martin's behavior and summoned police. During the call, Zimmerman told the dispatcher that Martin was coming to check me out. A source to the Orlando Sentinel said in May that Zimmerman told investors that at one point Martin circled his vehicle and he rolled up his window to avoid a confrontation. After telling the police dispatchers that Martin ran Zimmerman, that Martin ran Zimmerman left his vehicle on Twin Trees and walked down the sidewalk between Twin Trees and Retreat VU Circle to determine his location and ascertain in which direction Martin had fled. This bit asked if Zimmerman was following Martin and Zimmerman replied, yeah, the dispatcher said, okay, we don't need you to do that. Zimmerman replied with, okay, and stated that Martin got away. After a discussion about where Zimmerman would meet, police call ended, and Zimmerman told investors he returned to his vehicle after locating an address on Retreat VU Circle when Martin approached him from his left rear and confronted him. According to Zimmerman, Martin then punched him in the face, knocking him down, and began beating his head against the sidewalk. Zimmerman said he called out for help while being beaten, and at one point, Martin covered his mouth and muffled the screams. According to Zimmerman's father, during the struggle while Martin was on top of Zimmerman, Martin said the gun Zimmerman was carrying and said something to the effect of, you're going to die now, you're going to die tonight, and continued to beat Zimmerman. Zimmerman and Martin struggled over the gun, and Zimmerman shot Martin once in the chest. At close range, Zimmerman told police he shot Martin in self-defense. On June 21, 2012, Zimmerman's attorneys released audio tapes of several interviews he had with police shortly after the shooting. He also, include, also included were Zimmerman's written statement of February 26, 2012 and video recordings of his reenactment of the incident 
and the voice stress test that he passed. The, in the interview, Zinnerman says he took note of Martin because he was near a home that he had previously called police about. He also said he was just walking casually, not like he was trying to get out of the rain, and he felt something was off about Martin. In, in a reconstruction video recorded by police the next day, Zimmerman said that after he initially saw Martin on Retreat View Circle, he parked his vehicle in front of the clubhouse at the corner of Retreat View Circle and Twin Trees Lane and observed Martin go past him and onto Twin Trees Lane where he lost sight of Martin. He stated that this buddy asked, can you get to somewhere you, where you can see him and that he then left the clubhouse parking lot and drove onto Twin Trees Lane where he parked his father. He further stated that at no point Martin circled his truck while he was parked on Twin Trees, Twin Trees Lane, shooting a Trayvon Martin map. Zimmerman eventually left his truck and walked down the sidewalk between Twin Trees Lane to Retreat View Circle and gave police an address on Retreat View Circle. He told the investigators that he was going, he was not going, he was not following Martin, but was just going in the same direction he was to find an address. But admitted that he had also left his truck to try to see in which direction Martin had gone. The altercation began, he said, when Martin suddenly appeared while Zimmerman was walking back to his vehicle, he described Martin at different points and the interviews as appearing out of nowhere from the darkness and as jumping out of the bushes. Zimmerman said that Martin asked, you got a fucking problem, homie? Zimmerman replied, no. Then Martin said, you got a problem now, and punched Zimmerman as they struggled on the ground. Zimmerman on his back, with Martin on top of him. Zimmerman, yeah. <coughs> Zimmerman yelled, yelled for help. Probably 50 times, Martin told him to shut the fuck up as he hit him in the face and pounded his head on the concrete sidewalk. When Zimmerman tried to remove, to move off the concrete, Martin saw his gun and said, You're going to die tonight, motherfucker. <coughs> Martin grabbed for the gun, but Zimmerman grabbed it first, and he said after being that, after firing his weapon, <coughs> At Martin, he was not sure at first what, that he had hit him, so he got on top of it in order to do him. Bystanders on police stro- arrived shortly after. <coughs> Martin was shot. Police reports state that Zimmerman appeared to have a broken and bloody nose and swelling of his face. <coughs> Zimmerman was offered three chances to be taken to the hospital, but declined each time, according to police reports. Released by the prosecution, ABC News report reported that a medical report complied by Zimmerman's family physician <coughs> shows that following the altercation, Martin Zimmerman was diagnosed with a closed fracture of his nose, two black eyes, lacerations to the black back of his head, and a minor back injury and bruising to his upper lip and cheek. In the course of Zimmerman's recorded interviews, Detective Chris Serena questioned aspects of Zimmerman's account, such as Zimmerman's statement that he did not know the name of the street of the Twin Lakes community where he had lived for three years. Zimmerman said in response that he had a bad memory and takes medication for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Invest also questioned the extent of his injuries and why he didn't identify himself to Martin as a neighborhood watch coordinator. <coughs> a neighborhood watch coordinator. Zimmerman said he didn't want to confront Martin. On June 26, 2012, the prosecution released the results of a voice stress test performed on George Zimmerman the day after the shooting. Zimmerman was asked, did you confront the guy you shot? To which Zimmerman answered, no. Zimmerman was asked, were you in fear for your life when you shot the guy? To which Zimmerman answered, yes. The examiner concluded that Zimmerman told substantially the complete truth. In the examination, Zimmerman was classified as no deception indicated in DI.
According to the report, boisterous analysis is according to the report, boisterous analysis was a controversial product because of the scientific implausibility of its principles and ungrounded claims of the aggressive propaganda from sellers of boisterous analysis gadgets. During a bond hearing on April 20, 2012, Mr. Dale Gilbert testified under oath that he did not know whether Zimmerman and Martin started the fight and, the, and that there is no evidence to contradict Zimmerman's claim that he was walking back to his vehicle when Martin confronted him. Gilbert, however, questioned Zimmerman's statement that Martin was slamming his head against the sidewalk. This before he shot the teenager, saying it was not consistent with the evidence we found. Gilbert was one of the two of us who attested to the facts stated in the probable cause affidavit. Zimmerman's first media interview. On July 18, 2012, Zimmerman, accompanied by attorney Mark O'Mara, gave his first long, first long media interview to Sean Handy, and part of the interview appeared on Hannity that evening. During the interview, Zimmerman said that he did not regret his actions on the night of the shooting, and that he felt that what he had, that what had happened, was all God's plan. He also said, "I do, I do wish there was something, anything I could have done." There was something, anything I could have done that wouldn't have put me in the position where I had to take his life. I want to tell everyone, my wife, my family, my parents, God, and grandmother, their Martins, the city of Stanford, and America, I'm sorry that this happened. I'm truly sorry. When Handy asked him why his suspicions were aroused, when he noticed Martin's Zimmerman felt replied in part, I felt he was suspicious because it was raining, he was in between houses, cutting in between houses, and he was walking very leisurely for the weather. It didn't look like he was a resident that went to check their mail and got caught in the rain and was hurrying back home. He didn't look like a fitness fanatic that would train in the rain. Following the interview with Hannity, Special Prosecutor Angela Corey filed a formal notice that she intended to use the interview as evidence against Zimmerman, according to an article in the Orlando Sentinel. Zimmerman's story differed at least in at least two details from previous versions of what he said happened the night she shot Martin, specifically that he told Hannity he had walked toward Martin because he was trying to find a street address to provide the police, but during the police investigation, he had said that the reason he approached Martin was that he was looking for the name of the street, which he had forgotten, and that he told Hannity that Martin had been skipping, going away quickly, not running away out of fear, but he had briefly told Sanford Police that Martin had run away as the man was reporting to him. Florida defense lawyers said it was a mistake for Zimmerman to do a television interview and discuss what happened that night. One of them said it's really baffling at what he thought he gained from it. I question who's in charge of the defense strategy, Zimmerman or O'Mara. O'Mara told reporters that the interview was intended to help increase the number of donations to Zimmerman's nearly exhausted legal defense fund, which would pay the cost for Zimmerman's legal defense as well as for shelter and security. O'Mara said that Zimmerman had problem sanity three months earlier that he would give his first interview to Hannity and that Hannity had agreed to promote Zimmerman's website during the interview. Although he said Hannity did not, ABC News' Barbara Walters also said that Zimmerman was in desperate need of money and was worried about the safety of his family. She had flown from New York to Florida to record a television interview with Zimmerman that was to be shown the following shown following the Hannity interview, but the television that refused to meet Zimmerman's request that they pay for a month's most hotel stay of security for his wife. <coughs> Martin's parents said they did not accept Zimmerman's apology for killing their son. Martin's mother, Sabrina Fulton, said she doubted that Zimmerman's apology was sincere. I have a hard time accepting it because he also said that he doesn't regret anything he did that night, Fulton stated. Affidavit of probable cause. 
On April 11, 2012, an affidavit probable cause was filed in support of second-degree murder charges against Zimmerman. The affidavit described what the investigation alleged took place between Zimmerman and Martin on the night of the shooting. Prosecutors alleged that Zimmerman profiled Martin as he was walking back from a nearby 7-Eleven store to the townhouse where he was temporarily living. Prosecutors said Zimmerman was driving in his vehicle when he saw Martin and assumed was a criminal and perceived that Martin was acting suspicious and felt that he did not belong in the gated community. Zimmerman called the police and process said that said the dispatcher told Zimmerman an officer was on the way to wait for him in the call Zimmerman made a reference. Zimmerman made reference to people she he felt had gotten away with break-ins in the neighborhood. Investors alleged that while Zimmerman was talking to the dispatcher, Martin was on the phone with a friend and she said that Martin was scared because he was being followed by an unknown man. Investors said that Martin attempted to run home but Zimmerman followed him because he didn't want Martin to get away. When the police still realized Zimmerman was following Martin, he told Zimmerman that was unnecessary and that police would meet him there. Prosecutors alleged that Zimmerman ignored the dispatcher that continued following Martin and confronted him and a struggle ensued. When police arrived at the scene, Zimmerman admitted to shooting Martin in the chest. Analysis of charges. Legal analysis criticized the prosecution for overcharging Zimmerman, claiming that the probable cause affidavit did not support the charge of second-degree murder. Harvard law for Alan Dershowitz claimed the affidavit may have been perjurious if special prosecutor Angela Cordonelli omitted facts favorable to Zimmerman's self-defense claim. Richard Kurowitz, a former prosecutor who worked with Andrew Kors, said the state attorney had no obligation to include exculpatory evidence in the affidavit. He stated that Dershowitz could face civil action for making accusations that Corey committed a crime to suggest that she's committing any crime. Dershowitz is, a, is way off on that, Kurt said. Kur, Kurowitz said. Background yells for help and 911 calls. In recordings on 911 calls, yells for help and audible in the auto. Are audible in the background. Zimmerman's family says it was Zimmerman yelling for help. Martin says it was Martin yelling for help. And an independent audio analysis offered different opinions as to who was yelling for help. During the trial, friends and family members of both Zimmerman and Martin testified as to who they thought the voice was, but expert testimony regarding voice identification was not allowed. In an interview for the prosecutors on March 19th, Zimmerman's father identified the yells as George Zimmerman stated there is no doubt who was yelling for help. It's absolutely my son. Other relatives of Zimmerman, including his brother Kakuru, and are equally adamant during a bond hearing on June 29th. The 911 recording was played in court and Zimmerman's father testified it was definitely George's voice ye- heard yelling for help and they recorded 911 call. According to police reports, after listening to the audio recordings of the 911 calls, Martin's father, Tracy Martin, told police in this case that it was not Trayvon Martin's, Trayvon Martin's voice yelling for help. Martin has since told reporters he was uncertain at the time that, but when he heard an enhanced recording on March 16th, he was convinced it was his son yelling for help. Investor interviewed Martin's mother, Cybrian Fulton, who re- reviewed the 911 calls to police and identified the voice crying for help as her son. Investigators also interviewed Martin's cousin, who stated that without de- without a doubt on a stack of Bibles, it was Martin yelling for help on the 911 tape. 
administrators requested a fry hearing regarding the admissibility of the testimony of the audio analysis to determine the methods used by them are generally accepted by the scientific community. The judge said in her ruling that there is no evidence to establish that their scientific techniques have been tested and found reliable. Her ruling did not prevent the 9-1 calls from being played at the trial. Thanks for listening to this second part. Stay tuned next week for the third part in the Trayvon Mountain shooting. Have a good week and stay safe.